Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just wanna ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen, and we pray that you are blessed. Hey, happy Sabbath, Relove Church. It's a pleasure to be with you guys this Sabbath. Uh, thankful for Pastor Seth and the invitation to share with y'all. I don't know, I think you guys are on the West Coast. I'm on the East Coast presently, and uh, although COVID has brought a whole set of challenges, at least this is a fun thing where we can connect online and be able to share and spend some time together. I know that Pastor Seth has been doing a series on identity, and that's actually one of my favorite topics. And the reason it's one of my favorite topics is because it was not until I understood my identity in the eyes of my father that I could truly say that I received gospel freedom. And what I mean by gospel freedom is that liberty that Jesus Christ came to bring to this earth to us. He did not come into this world for us to live that sludge and trudge of a Christian walk, but he came to bring joy, peace, love, freedom in the Holy Spirit. For the kingdom of God is about righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul tells us. So it's this key feature of knowing who the Father says we are, knowing who we are in light of him and what he created us for that actually sets us free to live according to the purpose and destiny that he had for us from the beginning of the world, even before the foundations of the world. My uh, story actually begins about four and a half years ago, at least my story in relationship to identity and freedom. In the summer of 2016, May, I was confronting a very uncomfortable truth, and that truth was that I was making a wreck of my life while pursuing theology as a career. I was halfway through a PhD degree and I thought that theology was gonna be the end goal and end game of my life. I had pursued theology for a number of years. I had a undergrad in theology, I had a master's in theology, and now I was a doctoral student in systematic theology. I was preaching in different parts of the country and every once in a while I was privileged to stand in front of a classroom of pastors, master students, and wax eloquent on theology but every day that i went home i knew one fundamental truth and that was this that all of this theology was not giving me life and because it wasn't giving me life i was still very much a slave to all of my sin all of my shortcomings all of my brokenness was actually what underwrote my life and my experience so i was never better than my last mistake and all the theology that I knew couldn't correct that posture of my heart, that I was never better than my last mistake. And all those mistakes accumulated over time to render a person who was preaching theology but was inwardly coming up short continually. And then too often, I had a personal theology that was able to close that distance between my failures and what I was preaching and just say, well, you know, the Father loves me, such grace. And that sounds really good, and I promise you that is good, but that's not the best news. The best news is that that distance was not only covered by grace, but that distance no longer exists. So I was uh, sitting on my couch 
and I'm watching a video. And in this video, there's a gentleman who claims to have healed another fella's deafness. This guy, he's got dreads on him. He puts his hand on a man's head and he prays for him. And after praying for him, the man who's the recipient of the prayer begins to exult in joy and tears come down his face. And he's saying, I'm healed. I'm healed. I can hear. And as I'm sitting there on my couch watching this, all of my theology emerges and the arrogance behind it rises up and says, oh, no, this can't be true. You're going to tell me this guy here just laid his hands on this dude's head and he preached and he just said, oh, be healed in Jesus name. And it just happened. All of my arrogance, all of my theology and all of my pride really just rose up and manifested in unbelief and disbelief. Mostly because I had never seen something like that in my own life. Like I hadn't witnessed that. And I wasn't experiencing that power and freedom that this guy was supposedly operating in. So I did what any sane, rational person would do. I decided to look this guy up on YouTube and find out to see if whether in fact his ministry was legit. And as I looked on YouTube, I found a sermon. And this is the guy who, who laid hands on him. As I uh, opened up YouTube, I see this video of him preaching and as i'm sitting on my couch four years ago this man begins to preach and he says things like you know the problem with the prodigal son story is that we're always elevating the fact that he's prodigal but forget the whole time that he's son and i'm sitting there and i'm like yeah man that's so true hit hit me hard then he says things like you know that without the holy spirit we're never gonna make it and as i'm sitting on my couch i'm realizing like man that's that's me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like something leaps inside of me and tells me like, yeah, I, like I know that I'm living devoid of the Holy Spirit, that I'm not living and moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. And now this guy's, this guy's got my attention. Right. And then he says things. He says, how can we do ministry with what the disciples didn't have? And we don't have what they did. And he went on to explain it like this. He says the disciples did not have the New Testament. Right. The New Testament was written because the disciples were actually doing something. What they did have was the Holy Spirit. And so already in the first 45, 50 seconds of this man's presentations, he's already hit me in the heart real deep. One, I know I don't have the Holy Spirit. Two, I know that I'm all about myself because I'm living for self. And three, it's the first time I'm realizing that the prodigal son story is really about this son. He's always son. And as I'm sitting there realizing I'm coming to just this, this, this awareness of, man, what is, it, what, what is it that I've been teaching and preaching all this time of what, what this guy is saying is actually hitting and landing in such a, a sort of new and powerful way. And as he preached, I sat there just attentive for the next hour of his sermon, and I couldn't stop at one sermon. I went on and listened to four or five in a row. I think I broke for a while, got some food, and then had to listen to another four or five in a row. And I must have sat on my couch for about 10, 11, 12 hours, uh, maybe 10, 11 hours, I think, just sermon after sermon after sermon, listening, listening, considering, thinking, thinking these things through. And as I'm thinking these things through, this, this good news is just piercing into my heart. So here's what happens. I spent probably the next day or two just trying to understand everything that I'm hearing. And I went to bed uh, uh, one night and it was about two, two days later. Like, and, and I think that first day I must have spent, you know, like I said, nine, ten hours just on this on this stuff. The next day I spent probably just as much time and just 
letting it wash over me. And uh, I went to bed and I woke up. And when I woke up, I knew one fundamental truth. It was crazy. I woke up, my eyes opened, and this one fundamental truth, this, and it was in the form of an idea, a thought that just flooded my mind and emerged into my life uh, without me asking for it to be there, but it was just there. I woke up, opened my eyes, and I knew this, that God loved me exactly for who I was and that in the deepest parts of me, I was free. Now, I couldn't explain to you what I thought that freedom meant. Like, I couldn't explain to you how it is that I actually uh, 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 I could put words to it. But I woke up. I knew that God loved me and I knew that I was free so much so that I remember I was in the shower that morning and I was washing what little hair I have. And as I'm washing my hair, I'm realizing that what this freedom means is that as I'm indexing and cataloging my life, I'm free from lust. Like I had sadly fallen into lust for quite some time and had been pursuing that end for quite some time. But that morning in the shower, I'm looking into my heart and in my life and I'm realizing on the innermost part of me, like the stronghold of lust has been absolutely cracked in my life. And the reason it's cracked is because I know that God loves me. I know that there's nothing that I can do, perform, be or say to make him love me more than he loves me. And that this thing that I was enslaved to, I am free from. So... I would, I did what any rational person do, would do. Nah, I don't think a rational person would do this, but I mean, this is what I did. I jumped out the shower. I went and got my laptop and I went to a www.ishouldn'tbehere.com. And as soon as I arrived to where I shouldn't have been, I remember everything inside me recoiled from what I was seeing. And that would have never, ever happened. And I recoiled at what I was seeing. I remember I shut my laptop and I was like, what in the world? Because... Something had happened on my inside. For the next two or three weeks, y'all, I was just in a haze. Not in a haze. I mean, there was this clarity of everything. Like, But I, I couldn't quite put a, a, a verbiage to what I was experiencing. But I then that's where the haze was because I couldn't put verbiage to it. But I was walking and living with this clarity of mind, knowing exactly who I was, how much I was free from, that my life would never be the same because God loved me. He saw me as son and who I was in his eyes was somebody worthy of love and that I was free, 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 free. And that's just what kept coming up. I was free. I was free. I was free. It wasn't until some weeks later that I was finally able to put verbiage to what had happened. And this is what I want to share with y'all. It's found in Romans 6. If y'all turn with me to Romans 6, it's a powerful passage of freedom that's actually present in Scripture and that I had not fully understood that it had been there all along. Now, I don't know where you're at with actually what I'm saying. Maybe some of y'all are listening like, Jonathan, I've had the same experience. Or maybe some of y'all are listening and you're sitting there like I was when I watched the video of that man getting healed, where it's like, you kidding me, guy? Like, Really? You were free all of a sudden? It was like the thing was cracked and you were good? Yeah. 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 I, I don't know where you're at, but I want to show you something. And I want to show you something that 
was finally made plain to me after a reception of just this truth of God's love that it had been here all along and that had I actually received it and believed it, I mean, it was there the whole time. Here's what I want to read with y'all. Romans 6. Romans 6. Now watch this with me. Romans 6. I'm going to be reading verse 1. I'm out of the ESV. And I want y'all to read with me just, just these next following verses. We're going to spend the next few minutes just thinking and considering this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Like we're not, Paul's saying like, are we going to continue in this state of sin? In, in this despair? Just so that then grace could wash over us? Like, no, 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 no. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Like, what? How can we who've died to sin still live in it? Do you not know? That all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. Did you, did you hear that? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. So this is revolutionary because the idea that Paul's getting across is that because Jesus Christ has conquered sin through his life, death, and resurrection that you and I, through baptism, we participate in that very same victory. That when we go down into the watery graves, that is our funeral, where we're laying down our old person and rising up to newness of life in Christ Jesus. So that the old person that was a slave to sin, that old man that was given over to the body of flesh and was given over to this power of sin that leads to death, has been, been, put, to, has been put to death in the funeral waters of baptism, and we rise to new life. Right? For too long, I had believed that baptism was just merely the symbol, right? the symbol of, a, of, of, a, of an appeal for a clean conscience. Peter teaches us about that. But there's depth to what that means. The reason that you're appealing to a clean conscience is because you've been washed. And that washing means that you've been cleansed from the power of sin. The power of sin has no hold on us precisely because we have died to it by participating in the death of of Christ Jesus because when Christ Jesus died he died to sin let me keep going watch this verse 4 we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the father we too might walk in newness of life that you and I you and I have the privilege of walking in the newness of life, and this newness of life is empowered by the Holy Spirit, not because we've done something, but because he has done something for us. And if we're willing to receive and believe that he has, in fact, done this for us, we have the privilege of walking out an empowered life that is victorious, not because we're winning, but because he has won. Verse five, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, I always believed that that participation in the resurrection was at the second coming, right? This idea that at the second coming is when finally it's all going to be good. And certainly it will be, right? But that resurrected new life in my old way of thinking had to wait until that day. Because until then, I'm always just going to be in this struggle. I'm always going to be no better than my last mistake. I'm always going to be a victim to everything I've been a victim to. And 
Thank God for his grace. My beloved, the resurrection life that Jesus Christ promised is now through his Holy Spirit because he has loved us with a great love that he gives us the victory that he attained at resurrection so that you and I could start living it now. And the fundamental thing we have to believe in order to live from a place of empowerment and a place of victory is to know that one, the father has loved us with an undying love. That's why he gave Jesus Christ. And two, that since Jesus Christ has done what he has done, we are actually free. We have been freed. We don't need to live under the old deception. We don't need to try to do in order to be. We don't need to elevate broken theology over and above the fundamental truth that God has loved us with an undying love that has set us free from the power of sin and that we can live in power now. Now. Look at, look at these powerful verses. Consider this. Verse 6 is exactly what I'm saying right now. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. What in the world? At the cross, as we participate by faith, we know that the old body of sin is actually put to death. That old body of sin that's given over to all manner of brokenness, all manner of licentiousness, all manner of foolishness is actually put to death. You know, Jesus um, in John chapter three, he has this great exchange with Nicodemus. Maybe some, some of y'all remember this story. <clears throat> he has this meeting with Nicodemus, who's a very important figure in Israelite society. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, which is he's a high aristocrat and he's also a high government official at the same time. All right. And as he's sitting with Jesus, Jesus is trying to explain to him the gospel. And he's trying to tell him, you know, you got to be born again to actually see the kingdom of God. You got to be born of the water and spirit. And Nicodemus is listening to this. And he's like, I got to be born again, water and spirit. What are you talking about? Like, how can these things be? And Jesus is saying, hold on now, you're a teacher of Israel. And like these things, you don't get them. And Nicodemus, I'm sure is perplexed. He's trying to understand what do you mean being born again by water and spirit? And this is where Jesus comes into his famous uh, lines of for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he gives this great example. He says, in the same way that Moses raised up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be raised up. And when he is lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. Now, that story that Jesus is citing is found in Numbers 21. And the story there is where the children of Israel, after having been freed, notice that, after having been freed from slavery, are now in the wilderness. The problem with the children of Israel is that they're not believing and walking out the freedom that is theirs. And because they're not believing and walking out the freedom that is theirs, they're truly still enslaved in their minds, although they're literally physically free from the bondage of Pharaoh. And as they are walking in literal freedom, but still being enslaved in their minds, they posture their hearts against God. And they posture their hearts in an unbelief that is positioning God 
as somebody other than the good giver he's demonstrated himself to be. Let me say that again. They're posturing their heart against God, and in doing so, they're positioning God as something other than the good giver that he's presented himself as thus far. And as they've postured their heart in unbelief, God has a response to them. Say, hey, man, y'all want to persist in this unbelief and you guys keep uh, crying out to me that you don't have what you had in Egypt? Okay, I'll send you something. And in a very, very sort of severe moment of discipline, they're sent snakes, right? These snakes come out in the wilderness and they start biting the children of Israel. And as they're biting the children of Israel, we're told that people are falling left and right. And when I say falling, they're falling into death. So imagine this with me. You have a group of people in the wilderness who have been under the care of God, but have not postured their hearts in agreement with the liberty that they've received. In doing so, they're positioned in unbelief and positioning God as an enemy. God responds and he sends these serpents. And as these serpents bite these people, people are falling left and right and dying. In the midst of this, God tells Moses, all right, this is what you got to do. You're going to erect a bronze serpent that is impaled, right? This bronze serpent is going to, it's figurative, figuratively representing something, and it's going to be impaled. And you're going to stick that impaled bronze serpent in the midst of the camp. And anyone, anyone who would look at this impaled bronze serpent will, in fact, live. And so you could imagine with me that you have these children of Israel that are getting bitten. And you could imagine, say, one person in particular that gets bitten by the snake. And as they're being bitten by the snake, they've seen so many others around them be bitten. And they are now believing that because of this bite, they're going to have the same fate that so many others have had. And that is death. So imagine a person gets bitten and they see the poison running through their legs. And all of a sudden they're believing that it's the end of their life. Why, why, why did this happen against us? We shouldn't have grumbled against God. We're such fools. And all of a sudden from, from the outside, somebody yells, look and live. And this person hears them. But they don't pay attention because they're paying so much attention to their present condition, poison running through their legs. And they're like, oh, I'm going to die. I just got bit by a snake. And yet the voice persists. Look and live. And in a moment of sheer audacity, this person that's been bitten, for some reason or another, turns their head. And instead of paying attention to the condition of their mortal body, instead of paying full attention to the circumstances of their broken condition, turn and look at the pole. And on the pole, they see the very snake that is causing all this harm impaled and overcome. They see the very snake that is causing all this harm impaled and overcome. And in seeing that within them burst forth life and life birth bursts forth to overcome the poison so that they are liberated from that present circumstance that was brought about by the biting of the snake simply by looking, seeing, and believing. And so the Apostle Paul draws our attention. Verse 6, Romans 6, 6. With this in the background, Jesus and the story of Nicodemus, when he hearkens back to Moses, look at this. 
Romans 6, 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him. That body that was on that pole, the body of Jesus, that human body that received the curse of sin, which is death. When we look at that cross and we see him, we also see ourself. We see our old life crucified with him. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. That's crazy. In Christ Jesus, we're not being freed from sin. In Christ Jesus, by faith, we are set free from sin. Let me read a couple more verses because I know maybe the question is, all right, Jonathan, well, the, the Bible says we're free from sin. Cool. But what does that mean? What does that mean? We're going to talk about what that means. We're going to talk about what that means for just a few minutes. But look at verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And when was it that we died with Christ? We, we, we died with him in the waters of baptism. We participate in the death that he had on the cross through the waters of baptism. That's our participation in it. And so we die with Christ. And when we resurrect, we resurrect the newness of life. That's why it's at the baptism, at baptism that we receive the, the, the touch of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit by faith in Christ Jesus. So that we now walk according to this newness of life that we have because God has given it to us through Christ Jesus. Watch this. Verse 9. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. The death he died, he died to sins, to sin once for all. That means what was necessary to overcome sin has already happened in the body of Messiah Jesus at the cross. Sin has been condemned and it is rendered powerless. And when I participate and receive that truth in my life, I rise up victorious. Now, I may not feel it all the time. I may not constantly be walked with electricity running through my body. You know, I had that experience with the Lord four years ago where I knew in the deepest parts of me I was free and blessed the Lord that that was such a dope, dope moment for me. But it didn't last for the next four years. Like when I got the revelation that it was in scripture the whole time, all of a sudden I didn't need the feeling in order for me to know that it was true. The Holy Spirit was kind enough to give me a touch for me to understand the power that was mine through Christ Jesus. That when I confessed and repented of the foolish way I was living and I turned from it, I stopped looking at me and started looking at him. I was empowered with the gift of the Holy Spirit to live according to the freedom that was always mine. And to live in that freedom doesn't always require me to feel something. It requires me to place my heart on the side of what he says about me to believe his word that I am in fact free because when Jesus Christ died, he set me free from sin. Now, when we die, when you and I die, we die at the end of our life, we get separated from the breath of life. Think about this. When we die, what remains is a body and we get separated from the breath of life, right? Death is a literal separation. The breath goes, the body remains. It's a division. Look what the text tells us that Jesus died to. Jesus died to sin. My beloved, this is 
This is world changing. Because what, what he's saying is the human race has been divided from sin because Jesus is new creation. And in him, we participate in that victory. We are no longer slaves to sin. That's how we got to think and live. You telling me, well, Jonathan, I, I look at my life and I know I'm not free. I look at my life and I know that I'm still enslaved. Hey, hey, I know that feeling. But here's the, here's the beautiful news. Feelings aren't Lord. Look what Romans 6.11 tells us. Look, it says it very, very clear. Romans 6.11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is how we have to think. We have to think that we're dead to sin. Why? Because we're alive in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus Christ is alive. Why? Because God so loved us, he sent us Christ Jesus. Why? Because God is love. God has loved us. He gave us Jesus. Jesus set us free. Now live like it. I don't feel like it. Live like it. I don't see it. Walk in that direction. It's already true. Let me tell you three, three ways in which we're absolutely free from sin that are necessary for us to know. One, my beloved, in Christ Jesus, you're free from the power of sin. You know what the power of sin is? The power of sin is, the Bible, the Bible says the power of sin is the law. Now, that's a whole nother sermon. Maybe Pastor Seth will tackle that for you. But the power of sin is the law. You know why the power of sin is the law? Because the law, the law highlights our condition apart from Christ. The law highlights our condition apart from Christ. And that condition is the condition of a man or a person, excuse me, enslaved to sin under the power of the flesh, constantly living in condemnation because they're not meeting the requirements that God has set, constantly falling short of the grace of, of the righteousness of God. Right. And we all know this experience because we constantly fall short of our own expectations in our own life. I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going to do this this week. But come Friday, you didn't do it. So you're always on that next Monday. Tip. Come, come Monday. I'm going to do it. Come Monday. I'm going to do it. But then that Friday, you haven't done it. This next Monday, I'm going to make it happen. We're constantly falling short of our own expectations. How much more have we fallen short of the righteousness of God? Paul tells us. And yet, and yet. In Christ Jesus, we're told that what Jesus has accomplished has erased that whole thing so that you and I no longer come under condemnation because there is no distance between us and the righteousness of God. You know why? Because in Christ Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, we are the righteousness of God. We have his spirit within us because we have been set free so that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are no longer under the power of sin because there is no accusation that can come against your life because you're in Christ Jesus. You're free from the power of sin. Two, you're free from the penalty of sin. You know what the penalty of sin is? The penalty of sin is death. And you know what you did when you got baptized and you went in that water? You died. And you know what happened when you came back up? You came alive in Jesus name. So you ain't going to die again. You died once in the same way Jesus died once and for all. Next time he shows up, you're going to pop up to live. The worst that's going to happen to us is we might take a nap for a little while. We might take a nap at the end of our days, but then we're going to pop up. Hey, Jesus. So we're no longer under the penalty of sin. We're free from the power of sin. We're free from the penalty of sin because Jesus has died the death that was ours. And we now get to live the life that is his. And third, we are free from the double-minded prison of sin. It's called sin consciousness. The book of Hebrews teaches us about sin consciousness. That's the work of condemnation in the life 
of a person where they're constantly feeling that they are not good enough to actually meet up to what God desires. And that's true. We're not good enough in and of ourselves to meet what God desires. But that doesn't mean that we're not good. God has made us good. And since he's made us good, I put my faith in him and what he says. And I never steer away from his word over my life, even when I feel different to what his word says. Because if I let my life be ruled by what I feel instead of what he says, then I'm only as good as my feeling is going. And then what's really Lord? Jesus is Lord. And as long as Jesus is alive, I am who he says I am. And as, I, as long as I put my trust in him, my focus stays real clear. The light of my eye stays real clear. And as the light of my eye stays real clear, the, old, the whole inside is flooded with light. And since I have the mind of Christ, because that's what the Bible promises, I have the mind of Christ and I have a new heart, that heart and mind agree so that I'm not moved by the circumstances of life to somehow doubt the love of God in my life. So that then I'm not constantly tossed aside in the wave of uncertainty and in the sea of circumstances. Why? Because his love endures forever. And since I'm alive in his love, why would I now let life speak louder than the truth that I have through the spirit? So I'm grounded and rooted in his love, not because I've done something, but because he grounded and rooted me. And I continually say yes to him because he said yes to me first. So I don't come under the double-minded prison where I'm constantly, if I this, did I do that, did I do this, should I, would I, could I, should I, nah, that's not our life. Now, that doesn't mean that our life is always going to be all the ducks in a row. All our ducks ain't never probably going to be in a row. That doesn't mean that in this life we won't have trouble. We'll absolutely have trouble. That doesn't mean the circumstances won't get loud. They absolutely will get loud. That doesn't mean that we won't suffer. We absolutely will suffer. And yet greater is he that is living in me than him that is in the world. My little children, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And because of that, I can stand fast and secure knowing that I have a hope beyond the circumstances of this life and that that hope has been poured into my life because his love has been poured into it so that I'm not given over to my double-mindedness. So three ways we're free from sin. We're free from the power of sin. We're free from the penalty of sin. We're free from the prison of sin. Four years ago, when I came into this truth, it altered my life. It changed everything. It changed everything, everything, everything. My life has never been the same. My life has never been the same. And I know that for each and every single one of us, we want a life of empowered victory in the Holy Spirit. My beloved, if you, just, if you would just believe this, if you just receive this in Jesus' name, something that um, the Lord put on my heart after I got free was to read the Bible as though it was true about me. And so I would open up the book and I would spend a lot of time in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter one, verses uh, three through six, especially, especially chapter one, verse three, where it said, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And I would just posture my heart in gratitude and agreement with that verse. And it would look like this. I say, father, I thank you that every single blessing is mine in Christ Jesus. Thank you that I'm no longer a double minded man who has to go looking for love in all the wrong places. Thank you so much that the power of sin has been broken in my life and I cannot come up under condemnation. There is no accusation that can be lobbied against me because you have set me free. I thank you so much that you paid the penalty, that you died the death that was mine so that I can live the life that is yours and the life you say that is mine. I thank you for every blessing in Jesus name. I receive them today to live and walk empowered. And I'm so thankful that I'm your son and I'm free in Jesus name. And I would posture my heart this way and I continue to posture my heart this way. Why? 
because I am free in Jesus' name. So I want to encourage you. I don't know where you're at, but the book says that in Christ, by faith, we are free. The book says that in Christ, by faith, we can walk this victorious life out empowered by the spirit. That we ought to think ourselves dead to sin and alive to, and alive, alive to God through Christ Jesus. My beloved, get alone in a room if you need to. Five minutes a day, seven minutes a day, whatever it is. Read maybe Romans 6 verses 1 through 14. Maybe read Ephesians verse 1, verse 3. Maybe it's just verse 3 and just say, Father, I, I just received this. Let the Holy Spirit do his work because Christ came into this world to set us free. We don't have to live a life of not knowing that the Father loves us. We don't have to live a life that's constantly doing in order to be. That's whack. He ain't got to do in order to be. I now have the privilege of getting to do because I know I am. Because he made me. I'm new creation in him. Free. In Jesus' name. I pray the same for you. I pray that in these coming weeks you might walk out this freedom in Jesus' name. And that you might know that this here gospel, this here gospel... Is a gospel of freedom to lost sons and daughters who were created to live in the majesty, destiny, and legacy that the Father intended for you from the beginning of the age. That's why he gave us Jesus, and that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. Live free in his name. Go with God and grow in grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.